eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. North Carolina leads the all-time series. The Duke seniors 6-2 against North Carolina. So for those of you on ESPNU, the Cameron Crazies have fun above the rim on ESPN2. And for the 221st time, Carolina and Duke, let's play on all the networks, shall we? Here we go. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. All right. Welcome back, everybody. What is good? We're glad to have you here on another episode of The Throwback on Inside Carolina, InsideCarolina.com. I'm your host, Joey Powell, and you're here for episode six, and we're glad you're with us. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to to listen to another episode of this show and to consume Inside Carolina content. And we want to ask a favor of you. You've gotten this far. We want to ask you to come a little farther, uh, as Andy Dufresne says in Shawshank Redemption. Um, I want you to just take some time and rate and review this podcast if you like us. Um, if you like us, give us a good review. If you don't like it, let us know. Uh, we're accessible via the Inside Carolina message boards. Uh, we want to make sure that the content that we're putting out for you guys is what you want to hear and that it's things that you like and stuff that you can get really jazzed about. Uh, I know that right now there's not any live sports going on, and that'll change. But either way, we want to make sure that the content that we're putting out is relevant for you all. It's something that you're getting you know, geeked about, you're getting hyped up about. It's something you look forward to listening to. So take that time. Let us know if you don't like it. But if you do, you know, I want to set some expectations. If you can review us and rate us, we'll continue to give you some good product and some good content. That's the name of the game. At least it is here on Inside Carolina Podcasts. Today I've got with me Dewey Biscuits Burke and Relly Mac Sherelle McMillan. They're going to be here in just a few seconds to help us break down the 2006 matchup between the North Carolina Tar Heels at Cameron Indoor Stadium against a really, really loaded and highly ranked and highly double team. If you're listening to this show, you're obviously a, a big fan of Carolina and you've probably got some Tar Heel gear. Uh, you may have worn some gear to that game in Cameron in 2006. Uh, maybe you bought some gear afterwards, you know, when you rushed Franklin Street. But either way, if you're thinking about Carolina gear, I want you to be thinking about Johnny T-Shirt and our friends at Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Uh, right now, uh, all of the local businesses that that you patron need your help. Johnny T-Shirt is no different. They're a longtime supporter of Inside Carolina and supporter of, of, of the content that we put out and supporter of this podcast. We'll hope that you'll continue to support them. Uh, go to johnnytshirt.com. They can get stuff shipped to you really quick. 
Uh, things are always going on sale. They usually have more stuff that you can you can think of as far as different types of Carolina gear, clothes, koozies, you know, indoor basketball goals. If you've got a kid that's trying to, you know, get his last dance jump man impression on, go to johnnytshirt.com, make that happen. So what was happening on March 4th, 2006? Well, uh, if you remember the year before, the Tar Heels had won the national title. And they'd kind of reloaded. And when I say they reloaded, they had brought in five, a large recruiting class. It was five guys at the time. But they had to replace the top seven scorers from that national title team. And, you know, they had five freshmen that were playing regular minutes. Uh, they came in to this game having lost their matchup in the Smith Center to Duke earlier that year by four. Uh, but since then, they had won six straight, including nine of ten. And they were coming in ranked... Uh, number 15 and 13, depending on which poll we were looking at at the time, and they were 21 and 6. Flip side, if you remember anything at all about 2006, you could not get away from this Duke team. Uh, people were talking about, are they going to run the table in the ACC? Blah, blah, blah. They were preseason number one, and rightfully so. They were loaded with J.J. Reddick and Sheldon Williams. Uh, they had a senior, Lee Melchioni. I think Sean Dockery was also a senior. Uh, but anyway, they had just lost their first FS first game in conference at FSU three days prior. Uh, and we're coming in, they were 27 and two, hey, uh, you know, coach K's got his four captains or what have you, uh, all the hype in the world. Uh, if you need any more hype, uh, well, Dick Vitale and Brad Nestler were on the call. So you had all of it. Take it a step further. Carl Hess, TV, Teddy and Ray Natilli on the call uh, as far as refereeing the game. And I'll give you the starters real quick before I, I bring the guys in here. Starters for UNC, Rayshon Terry, David Noel, Tyler Hansbrough, Bobby Fraser, and Wes Miller. Duke tried it out. Redick, Lee Melchioni, Sean Dockery, and Greg Paulus. So, with that said, I'm going to bring in some guys that are really going to jazz this up because you don't want to hear me the whole time. I would like to introduce to you folks you know him as Biscuits. Dewey Burke is here. Dewey, how you doing? Joe, I'm great. Uh, looking forward to reflecting back on this game. I remember it very, very well and uh, was fortunate enough to be in the building on the bench and got a lot of fond memories from, you know, the, the days leading up to it, the game itself, the locker room and after. So looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, man, you had you had one of the best seats to be had in that in that game. That's for sure. And also with us again today is uh, Sherelle McMillan. Relly Mac, as I like to call him, we go way back. Sheryl, how you doing, bud? I'm good. Yourself, man? Hey, man. Like, if I was any better, there'd be two of me, and I don't think the world <laughs> or the, the listening audience is ready for that. Uh, boys, we, we've got a heck of a game here. Anytime Duke and Carolina lock lock horns, it's going to be a you know it's going to be a barn burner. Use all the cliches you want to you know, you want to use. No love lost. Throw the records away. Whatever. Um, but do you you started off a second ago, uh, kind of when you when we introduced you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you remember about the the run up to this game? You know, from a team perspective, from a player's perspective, what do you what can you remember much about about kind of where this team was going the Saturday you know, that you guys traveled over? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because we had gone through our little slump that year where we lost three out of four, and with such a young team, it felt like the world was going to end. And we had such good leadership. We were so lucky to have David Noel to kind of steady the ship along with Coach Williams as somebody who had been there, who obviously had played huge minutes and huge games the year before and won a ring. And we really honestly looked to him more than ever during that period when we struggled. 
just because it never happened to especially the freshmen who were just getting their feet wet really. And so we had come out of that and started to play better. And I just remember there being a sense in the practices leading up and coach Williams made a point of talking about it when we were just us together as a team that no one thought we could win over there. Just nobody. And I remember having a steely resolve about ourselves because of that. And there was so much hype. It was JJ and Sheldon's last game, senior night. They were the one seed. There was talk they could have been undefeated in the conference coming in. Obviously, as you said, they lost to Florida State. So much hype around it. And that was a team that was certainly a favorite, if not the favorite, to win the national championship that year. And we were just Carolina with a bunch of freshmen. And obviously, we had already played way better that year than anybody ever thought we could have. Um, And like I said, I just remember the Thursday, Friday before that, this kind of feeling of anticipation, like we knew we were going to win. It was it was interesting. And uh, and I'll tell you a a cool story about that later. But I don't know why or what it was or we knew we were going to win. And Coach Williams kept talking about no one thinks we can do it, but this group right here, you know, the 15 of you guys and the coaches and the, and the managers, no one else outside of here thinks we can do this. And that motivational tactic really worked because by the time we got over there, I promise you guys, we knew we were going to win. How amazing would it be if a 19-year-old freshman from Missouri helped pull a shocker for the youth bunch, the youth group, of Carolina here on senior night in front of all these Duke fans and all these All-America type players. Williams misses two free throws that time, three in a row now. And that means you're a little tired right there because you shoot your legs as well. Look at the entry inside. Great entry pass, and now Ginyard will go to the free throw line. They are just the aggressor. They're beating them to the basket. Great cuts. This is a basketball team that has elevated its game and has gotten better and better and better. Duke looks a little bit wobbly, and they have looked that way even in some of the games that they were able to win lately. That's so awesome hearing you know, that, that you've got a coach that's a Hall of Famer that can get you guys that psyched up to where it's all but a foregone, foregone conclusion that the underdog is going to walk in there and walk out a win. That's beautiful. Rel, what do you remember about the game prior to, you know, before the rewatch, but, you know, in 2006, what is Rel thinking about this game? Uh, that they don't have a chance to win. <laughs> Sorry, Dewey. But to your point, I don't think anyone really on the outside. Damn right. <laughs> no one on the outside really, even Carolina students or people who worked in the athletic department at the time, yeah, that's true. thought that North Carolina could go into Cameron, a place they hadn't won at that point in five years, uh, go in there and beat on senior night, you know, one of the all-time leading scorers or the all-time leading scorer in Duke history, the guy with the most blocks in Duke history, a team that, like Dewey said, was the number one overall or, or number one seed in the ACC tournament and was ranked number one, especially and, a team. And by the way, they had seven McDonald's All-Americans on right. their team. Now, we right. had a ton. We had a bunch, too, but they had seven. Right. And we, we forget, like, Josh McRobbins was on that team, and some people had him ranked number one in his class. Yeah. Um, so you have all that going against North Carolina. And then, as Dewey said, it, it's like this – I hate to say it, but like this ragtag group of freshmen led by David Noel coming in um, who – I think the year before averaged like four points a game and was Carolina's leading returning score. So it just didn't seem like something that could happen, even though, you know, they play them really tough in the Smith center. Um, Duke got a big and Carolina made a, a pretty nice comeback, but came up just a little bit short. 
you know, I, it just, it, it seemed like one of those where, okay, they'll hang around, you know, they'll play okay. And then eventually, you know, JJ Reddick will hit a couple threes, Sheldon Williams will get a block and then one by Duke will win by nine or 10 or something like that. So that's kind of where I was going into it. They had already, as Dewey said, like kind of um, surpassed everybody's expectations. And at that point it was more so it, it was a, it was a, a want to, not a must have just because of how well they played the rest of the season. Well, I told you to throw the records out when these two teams get together. <laughs> I said that, and and you just you just ignored me. Um, yeah, I, I think I think both of you guys have, have kind of captured where probably a lot of Carolina fans fall for the Duke Carolina game. You've got hat, you know, half the fans think that UNC is going to walk in and just just steamroll whoever they're playing, uh, and most of the times, especially in a in a rivalry game like this, they're going to they're beat Duke no matter what. And then you have the other Carolina fans who think that there's just no chance, you know, come hell or high water that UNC should even be on the court, yada, yada. So I love that you guys brought that dichotomy to the conversation. Sherelle, what do you, what do you immediately in the, in the rewatch, what major events of this game jumped out at you? Uh, that I have forgotten or just in general? Just in general. I mean, if, if you've got a little of both, some that you remember and then some I- that, that maybe jumped out at you when you rewatched it. I didn't remember um, Duke coming out so hot and Carolina being looking just really putrid offensively those first 11 minutes. I think they only had 10 points in the first 10 minutes of the first half. And they looked kind of a little bit shell-shocked. And, you know, J.J. Redick had come out. I think he was four of his first five. And the cameras, you know, the crazies are going wild. And Dick Vitale is screaming. And it was like, okay, this is how it's going to be today. And then it wasn't um, offensively. It was defensively and on the boards. Um, that North Carolina kind of got back into the game. Uh, no one, uh, to me, no one played particularly well outside of Tyler Hansborough. There were some some good performances, but the guys they count on, like David Noel um, didn't have a great game. You know, he had 26 points against Virginia, and I think he had eight against Duke. He did some things that were important, but offensively he, did, he didn't do a ton. Um, and that's something we'll talk about later in that they got a lot of contributions from people they maybe didn't expect to get them from and then Rayshon Terry I think he was three of 13 from the field so those are two of your main guys along with Hansborough who didn't give you a ton offensively yet they still went in there and scored 83 points so I think that was what jumped out to me was that they got down by 10 really early and looked really bad offensively for the first part of the first half um, and then just found a way through defense to get back into the game and then kind of took it over in the second half. Yeah, you were spot on about Duke coming out with a hot start. It were thirteen to three, Duke at the under sixteen, and you know, Reddick started you know just blistering hot. Dewey, what do you remember? Just the big, uh, the big things, the big takeaways that you had from that game. If we're talking about what I remember from the beginning part of the game, we still had the same confidence, but JJ coming out and hitting those first three. I do remember thinking and talking to my teammates like, well, if he's going to get 40, there may not be a whole lot we can do about this because th- those were not all easy shots either. Talking about Reddick and Williams, the best tandem ever at Duke in terms of scores. Oh, a running jumper by Reddick. Is he on fire? No, oh, somebody called the fire chief. He's burning up the nuts already. Um, but he cooled off, and, and as you guys said, I think it even was 13-2 to two to start the game. And I remember being in the huddle at the under 16 and the under 12 and coach Williams just telling us guys, calm down. This is one of the biggest bullets they've got is to start the game. The crowd's into it. Then their best player hits three shots. We are fine. We are right where we want to be. Just do everything we tell you to do. 
and we're going to be in this game at the end. And that calm confidence, which is something you read a lot about and hear a lot about Coach Smith having, Coach Williams was just perfect in those moments because none of us outside of Dave had played significant minutes in, in an environment like that. It was so loud and so crazy, and the place was so amped to put their seniors out the right way. And then he comes out and goes bang, 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 hits three good shots. It was it was insane in there. I mean, the floor shakes when it gets that loud. Um, but we hung in there, and we stopped turning the ball over, got the ball into Tyler. <clears throat> we got JJ to miss a few shots. We rebounded the ball, got some buckets in transition. And all of a sudden, when you got into that kind of under three minutes, it was right around you know 30 to 30. And so we were firmly in the game. We had taken JJ's initial, initial haymaker. And as everybody knows, he went two for 19 the rest of the way and, and, and couldn't really get it going thanks to, you know, in large part, Marcus's defense on him. So uh, I just remember being so kind of proud and, and confident after we took that, like I said, haymaker, that first punch. And we were fine. There was no panic. You know, even, uh, even Bobby, who had the ball in his hands so much, totally calm. Uh, Tyler never, you know, really got too high or too low. He just kind of locked in and did his thing. But even the young guys, everybody was good. So it was, um, at least if we're talking about the first half, it was a wild start, but we settled in and uh, we really grinded defensively. We took care of the ball better, got better shots, and uh, we were right in it. We knew it. Duke started so fast, so emotional, and then kind of the air went out of it a little bit. Now Carolina's right back in the game. Good point. North Carolina, really athletic. They get up and down the floor. And they've got to just love their guy in the middle. And they got people you got to respect on the perimeter who can make shots. And then you got to deal with the big guy in the, in the post. Reddick through a double team. Williams trying to keep it alive. And now Carolina again with an opportunity to lead. Wenton Thomas, Dockerian, and Thomas to the rack, and Carolina's got the lead. That's not the same kid I watched earlier in the year. He's a totally different player. His body language, his court savvy, he has elevated his game. That's a great point when you talk about the calm feeling. When I was rewatching it, I noticed just specifically, you know, when you're talking about a freshman, Bobby Fraser, and Quentin Thomas, too, who, you know, was kind of up and down in, in his career as a ball handler. Both of those guys during that game had some moments where they looked very calm. I mean, they, they of course, had turnovers, but they looked smooth with their handle. I'm glad you mentioned that calmness because I think it is something that is probably a little easier when you have a younger team uh, and a veteran Hall of Fame coach in that type of environment that he can kind of just rein them in because they, they don't really know any differently. Uh, Dewey, how did, you guys, how did you guys feel, you know, once that, once that calm had set in you mentioned that around three minute mark. When did you guys feel like, okay, now we can start, we can start playing. We can really start letting it all hang out and doing what we want to do. At what point did you really notice that? Yeah. You know, the really those first 10 minutes of the second half were still really back and forth. Like we had, a, we had a great conversation at halftime, you know, things we needed to clean up, needed to get the ball inside a little bit more, get Tyler the ball in positions to be successful and that would open up more outside shots, which you saw we made a couple big threes in the second half. Um, clean up a couple things defensively. We we're doing a great job on JJ, obviously. 
And really, though, it was it was back and forth those 10 minutes to start the second half. And then we made our run where Tyler had a couple buckets. Q had a couple great passes to Byron running. One was a, a penetrating little dump off. One was on the break. And we kept getting stops. That was the key. And we kept getting stops and we kept getting the rebounds. We weren't really giving up many offensive rebounds to them. And we pounded them on the glass. So, you know, Maybe not pounded them, but we out-rebounded them by like 10 or something that game. Um, and you take Sheldon away, you know, we crushed them on the glass except for him. So um, we were limiting them mostly to one shot on each possession. JJ couldn't get anything going. And we were pounding the ball inside to Tyler. And as good as a defender Sheldon was, he wanted no part of dealing with Tyler every possession. We kept going to him and kept going to him. And, uh, you know, he was terrific from the free throw line, eight out of nine. I just pulled up the box score. And it was that stretch right around the 10-minute mark where it went from back and forth up to down, down one to up eight. And we got our spread. And that's when you could tell that they got shook and they got nervous because there was no point in their minds, just like ours, where they ever thought they could lose that game. Not on that floor, not with those guys, not with JJ and Sheldon, not on senior night. And all of a sudden they look up and they're down eight and coach K has to call timeout and the place is quiet. And coach Williams says in the huddle, I can just talk to you in a normal voice. Listen to how quiet it is. And then back to, you know, being in it, what we have to do, how do we finish, blah, blah, blah. But it got really quiet at that point. And that's when you knew that, at least in my opinion, that we had him. That's an awesome point about, you know, Sheldon not wanting to have to guard Tyler every time down. There was a sequence in the second half where um, Sheldon, I think, had picked up a foul and they put Josh McRoberts on Tyler. And you could tell he could not hang with Tyler from a footwork perspective, like it was just a, it was just a quickness thing, but Tyler was just eating him alive every time, you know, he had to play on ball defense. Sherelle, when did you actually feel like that, that, okay, this is a UNC game to, to lose. At what point in the game did that really click for you? And and did you feel that in the rewatch or did you still feel like, Oh, this is tough. When was it a UNC game to lose? Uh, when they were up and uh, Demarcus Nelson hit a three, and then there were some <laughs> crazy shots taken, uh, and then Demarcus Nelson hit another three, and then there was another crazy <laughs> shot taken, and Lee Melchioni uh, had a layup, and before you knew it, Duke had the ball down three with a chance to tie the game. Um, I was like, you know, I was watching it, and I was like, you know what? This hasn't changed. We just saw this in February, and this is 14 years ago. And the same thing was happening then, is that Carolina goes to Cameron, and they build up a double-digit lead, and everything's looking great. And then for whatever reason, I I don't know. I'm not smart enough to to tell you. I'm just observing. You know, uh, Duke starts driving and kicking, and they hit a couple threes, and then there's game pressure on Carolina that wasn't there. And before you know it, Bobby Fraser has to step up and hit free throws, or who knows what might have happened. So, you know – when did I think that it Carolina was going to win is when Bobby Fraser hit that free throw to put him up four. When did I think that it was a game Carolina could lose is when they started giving up the lead in those last couple of minutes. Cause it just happened. It happened in a snap. I mean, they were up 10, uh, I think at the under four and then with 40 some seconds left, like I said, it was 77, 74 Duke had a chance to tie. Uh, so for me, that's when it happened. I, I mean, that stretch that Dewey talked about was pretty phenomenal because let me take a step back. When we talk about how Carolina wins these big games, it's always like, oh, that's a type of game that Coach Smith would have coached or that's a Coach Smith Carolina victory. And what that means is people are doing smart things 
um, people are contributing maybe who you might not expect, and then guys you expect to are delivering. And so you had Tyler Hansborough obviously hitting the, the three, which everybody forgets was still, I think it was like four minutes left. That surprised me because I thought it was closer towards the end of the game. Um, so you have him hitting the three, him going at Sheldon Williams and kind of scoring at will. You have Quentin Thomas uh, hit, I think he hit three jumpers or maybe two jumpers in the game and dishing off, like uh, Dewey said, to Byron Sanders, who had four points. You have Marcus Ginyard, like, getting a rebound and just going full court and finishing with his left hand as a freshman, you know, in that spot. Yeah, yeah, in in that spot. um, You have just people just doing good things, maybe who you didn't expect. It was a a, a team win. And so that's, to me, that that was kind of the the takeaway in that, is that, you know, it, it was one of those where everybody had to do something constructive for North Carolina to win. It took every single uh, person. Wes Miller played some really good defense on uh, Greg Paulus and then again on J.J. Reddick. He had him, I think, a couple of possessions. So all that to me um, kind of tied up in there. And so that's why it was so strange <laughs> when the, the lead kind of kind of went away. Um, so back to your original question. That's when I thought that they would win was when Bobby Frazier hit that free throw to put him up four. Before you get to the NCAA seedings, keep in mind what North Carolina is playing for tonight. They're playing for the number two seed in the ACC tournament so they can avoid Duke's side of the bracket in Greensboro. They're 23 seconds and change away from that. They've got a freshman at the free throw line from Blue Island, Illinois, who has not gone to the strike tonight but is a 76% free throw shooter. Can he handle the pressure of the Cameron Crazies? Yes. He looked pretty good right there. Got a nice touch from the perimeter as well. Now it's a two-possession game. And an ACC tournament, still going to be dynamite. May not have the unbelievable talented teams in the past, but you're still going to have some competitive super basketball. John Swafford and Freddie Barrett did a phenomenal job with that tournament. Frazier got them both. Good job by Frazier stepping to the line, converting. It was weird, and, and Dewey, you hit on this a second ago. It went from... Like the 15 to 13 minute mark in the second half was just absolutely nuts. It was back and forth. It was two heavyweight fighters throwing big time punches. Uh, And then Bobby Fraser hits a three from the corner that puts Carolina up by one. That's the last time uh, that gives Carolina the lead for good. Duke would tie it again, but they would never, they would never regain the lead. And then what Dewey was saying, that under eight to under four mark and to actually till about 310 when Tyler hits that ridiculous three. Uh, it was really just looked like Carolina's aggression versus Duke not, for lack of a better term. Uh, Dewey, a lot of times in games like this, especially Duke-Carolina, there's always a controversy. From a guy that's that's been in the huddle, were there any controversies in this game that you can remember? That's a great question. You know, I, not that I can recall. It really was a pretty clean game from that respect. I, I don't remember ever feeling like the refs made any calls that didn't go our way that were egregious. You know, coach was great about kind of training us that good teams beat bad refs. You know, there's going to be calls. They're not going to like them. They're not going to go your way, but good teams overcome that. So we we were always of the mind that you just play through that stuff. But I don't remember being incredulous about any, anything that, that was or wasn't called really in the game, which is great. Uh, I don't recall that. Um, what I do recall and what Rel was just talking about is when that stretch, when we obviously felt like we had the game in control and then, uh, DeMarcus hit that first three, then Mel Keeling had a layup when DeMarcus hit the second three, 
the entire building was shaking. I mean, you can picture on TV where I was on the bench, you know, in the bottom right-hand corner of your TV screen, and we're inbounding the ball in the top left corner of your TV screen. And I'm looking at, I want to say it was Dave inbounding the ball, and he is shaking. Like, I'm looking straight at him, and he is bouncing up and down in my vision because of how insane it was when they cut it to three. Uh, it was nuts. Never been anywhere, any arena I was in, anything like that, that exact moment. Not the Smith Center, not Rupp, nowhere. That was insane. And so for us to be able to come out of that stretch, I think right after that is when Bobby got fouled. It might have been a back and forth because he, he made that and then we called timeout. And we set up our press break. And I think we, yeah. And then we turned it over. Uh, yeah. Dockery missed the layup. Tyler gets the rebound. Yes. And yeah, that's what it was. And then we, you know, we pass the ball around and eventually Bobby gets fouled. And the, the famous clip of Bobby on the telecast, they zoom in on his face and you can see David Noel walk up to him and say something to him. And he walks up to him and says, Hey, it's Bobby's world kind of making a, you know, hearkening back to that stupid cartoon when we were kids. (laughs) And and you see Bobby look at him and say, Bobby's world, and kind of give that smirk smile and then rip two free throws. And that's that's the fun stuff. That's the the inside stuff that you remember. Uh, But it shows how confident of a kid Bobby was as a freshman. I mean, he went on uh, the rest of his career. He fought injuries and everything. He finally got healthy by his senior year and was a major contributor on a national championship team. I'm not sure people remember how good he was as a freshman and how incredibly gifted he was at running our team. I mean, he was one of the biggest reasons. Tyler's the biggest, no question. But I remember, honest to God, guys, I remember that summer when all the pros came back and playing pickup and being in the locker room. And I don't know why Bobby wasn't there when we had this conversation. I remember some of our guys that were in the league saying, Bobby's a pro. That's an NBA player because he was that solid and that gifted and that well thought of. And then his his body just didn't hold up the way you would have hoped. So anyway, just the confidence that he had to step up in that moment and rip those two free throws to put us up five, which essentially up five under 20 seconds, you know, let's put aside this year's game. Um, You know, you're going to win that game and you should. And uh, it just was a tribute to how many minutes he had played and that coach had trusted him in, in so many situations that for, by the time he got to the last game of the regular season, he was essentially a sophomore or a junior. I mean, running a point guard, running, running point at Carolina, you know, for 30 games, by the end of your, your first year, you're an upperclassman based on what you've experienced. And uh, he made those two huge threes. He made the free throws. He ran the team. I mean, I, guys, I can't emphasize enough how good he was and how integral to our success that year Bobby was. Fraser was second in the ACC in assists that year as a freshman. And even, you know, even in times where it it may have led to a turnover in this game, he never looked rattled. And I think that that dovetails nicely to what you were saying, Dewey. Now you just gave us a really good warm feeling about, you know, kind of some positive things specifically about Bobby and things that were said on the free throw line. But I'm going to guess that Rail probably can think of a controversy from that game that he might want to share with us from a uh, from from his perspective. Rail, you got one? 
Yeah, it, it was late in the game. North Carolina is beating Duke. Tyler Hansborough has dominated the competition, and he's hit in the face by a Duke defender. Not the game you're thinking of. <laughs> this happened in the 2006 Sean game. Dockery. Yes. Yeah, so it's 81-76. The game is essentially over. I think there's maybe four or five seconds left. And Hansborough goes up for a rebound, and I think it was Sean Dockery, like just mad because he's losing, uh, grabs for the ball, and instead of grabbing for the ball, like kind of hits Hansborough in the face, and then he realizes it's Hansborough's face, and then you see him extend and knock Tyler to the ground. And that's when Tyler gets up and looks, you know, pretty like he's ready to go at him. But I mean, that should have been a flagrant foul. And I don't, you know, rewatching it, I don't it, remember I'm, that at all. Yeah, rewatching okay. it, I'm like, I'm like, how did it, how was this not a flagrant foul on? on duke i mean he hit him in the face and he extended his arm and it was clear as day for everyone to see and you see the frustrated look on the guy's face so i I was a little surprised especially considering the officials in that game um Mm -hmm. who have been known to to like to get some attention i was surprised that they didn't take that opportunity to use that situation for attention um so that to me you know maybe not quite controversial but it definitely should have been a flagrant foul looking back at it i don't remember that I don't yeah. remember that at all. Can you guys imagine how frustrating it must have been to play against Tyler? And a four-point lead now, so it's two possessions. And it looks like Carolina, 10 years after the last time they were able to beat Duke on senior night, a decade later, they're going to be able to do it again. You don't want to foul here. You don't want to foul. Stop the clock. Let him shoot the basketball. Three-pointer is way short. It's over. Celebration of Oh, and look out. Hansborough goes down as Dockery had a hand in his face. I think inadvertently, but Hansborough's upset. He's being called by his teammates. Carolina's going to win this game. 1.1 seconds remaining. And I'll tell you one thing. The scoreboard's going to make him mighty happy when he looks at the board. And he looks tomorrow. His little push, he definitely shoved him. Yes, he shoved him down. The best is just step away, go to the line, convert, look at the scoreboard, and leave, and get back to Chapel Hill with a W. Disbelief on the Duke bench, and J.J. Redick and Sheldon Williams and four other seniors. Senior night's going to be spoiled by their arch rival from eight miles away in Chapel Hill. Hansborough's going to be the hero of the night over on Franklin Street and in Chapel Hill, and he might be a hero there for three more years. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I obviously know it in some way in practice and whatever, but that's different. Like to just to deal with him for 40 minutes. And it doesn't surprise me that, that, that people went at him and swung at him as much as they did. I mean, just the most relentless competitor and so physical that you probably just got so tired of dealing with him. And you put on top of that, that you're going to lose your senior night and blah, 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 blah. And it's not a shock. You know, I don't remember it, like I said, because we were already kind of on our way to winning at that point, I guess. But And, and I, I think, too, Dewey, the other part that probably frustrated people is that when, you, when you're trying to antagonize somebody, the thing that gets you upset the most is when they don't respond. And for the most part, like he, like I said, he got up off the ground really quick, but the game was over. There was no risk of Carolina losing. There's no risk of him doing anything to hurt the team. So I think that factored into it. But if if you do that and you, and the person doesn't respond, that gets really frustrating because the whole goal is to kind of get under the skin. And if they don't let you under their skin, then, you know, I think you see you lashing out. So yeah. between, between him just, you know, giving them 27, them losing that game, um, you know, after having just lost to Florida State, and maybe realizing that a national championship wasn't their birthright was something that they were going to have to earn. I think all that was playing into the situation and that he was a freshman. You know, here comes this 
freshman from the Midwest who, you know, doesn't, you know, necessarily look like he should be the best player in the country. But here he is, you know, having scored 40 points earlier in the season, dropped 27 on, you know, at Cameron and really showing that he belonged. And to me, when we start talking about stretching it out and looking at larger storylines, that was it. Like I knew two things I knew after that game. One, because so I have a lot of friends who have been uh, who are old enough to experience three North Carolina national championships. And the prevailing wisdom is the year after, like, whatever, you know, you just won the national championship, do something good. Just don't be terrible, whatever. But after that game, you know, I really started to hear like repeat whispers because they had a stud in the post. They had experience on the wings. They had a point guard who could run the team and was like, well, maybe they can do this. And that was the first time for me that, that I even let, I even entertained the thought that they could possibly do it. Now we know what happened, but to me that, that said they were, they were there. And the other part of it was the freshman, I think scored 55 of the 83 points or 56 or something. And it was kind of a, a moment that said, you know, these, these, this is William's second full class at North Carolina. And if these guys stay, you know, it's their time now. To me, that's what it said. Because Sheldon was leaving. J.J. Reddick was leaving. Duke had some solid recruiting classes, but there wasn't much other competition in the ACC outside of Duke for UNC. And it was like, man, if if those guys stay four years, who knows what they might do? And they ushered in, you know, maybe, if not the best, one of the best four-year stretches that Carolina's ever had. And that's saying something because it's Carolina basketball. Yeah, I think there's – um there's a lot at play there, Sherelle, and I, I I do back to your point about the controversy. I think there was there was definitely a bat signal sent up for both Carl Hess and Teddy Valentine on that what should have been a flagrant that they didn't they didn't respond to. But I, I, I'm with both you guys. I think it was absolutely uh, kind of one of the first times we got to see Hansbro at his most Hansbro esque. You know, since that he's just 40 minutes of just terrorizing you know, an upperclassman who had all American accolades, who was at home on his senior night. I think you guys are absolutely spot on about that. Um, this is a part of the show uh, where Dewey, this is new for you. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to you first. What was your timeless highlight of this game? And, you know, if, if it's something that's already come up in conversation, take a chance and just kind of hone in on it for a little bit for the listeners. You know, I think the easy answer is Tyler's three, but um you know, the plays that really stick out for me um, that I just remember so vividly, and I don't know if it's because these are a couple of the guys I'm closest to or whatever it is, but Bobby's two threes on the wing and Marcus's full court push and layup, um, those ones really stick out to me as just such huge critical plays in in 40 minutes of an abundance of huge and critical plays. Um uh, those and then and then I also remember the feeling, maybe midway through the second half, of being like, "Oh my God, Sheldon can't guard him. Like he he can't. He wants nothing to do with him." And you could see it. And you know when they came down and, and Tyler was great at establishing post position in early offense. He'd run the floor so well, and then he was great at really you know giving that first blow you know make the first physical interaction with the guy who was guarding him to try to get his post position and it's back to what we were talking about is you know from the tip to the last second every time you're near Tyler you're getting hit 
and it's like a boxing match, right? By the late rounds, you're getting punched after punch after punch. You you start to give in, and you could see an All-American, a guy who was a top 10 pick later that year, Tyler broke his will. You know, I know he still had a great game statistically and everything, but he did not want to deal with Tyler for one second more, and you could see it. And we kept going to him. And just if you unpack that for a second, that that we had that feeling on the bench. Like I remember turning to my teammates and turning to our strength coach and being like, he wants nothing to do with Tyler. He wants nothing to do with him. And that's amazing. He was, you know, Tyler's 18, 19. Sheldon was a senior. Uh, and so those are the things that stick out for me. Bobby's threes, Marcus's layup, and and I should say Marcus's defense all day on on JJ and, and having him go two for 19 after making those first couple, uh, but that just Tyler broke Sheldon's will and and was so relentless and was so clearly the best player on the floor and carried us. Um, as you guys were talking about, laid the groundwork for, you know, for my money is arguably one of the top five careers in NCAA history. You know, am I biased? Of course, but numbers don't lie. J.J. Redick started off four for five. He's one for his last 14 from the floor. His team trails 72-64. Sheldon Williams free throw upcoming. Our Cisco Systems game track looks like this. Hansborough's been sensational. 50% of his 19 points. The freshman youth being served by Carolina with 44 combined points. Sheldon Williams trying to go for 15 and 15 right now at the free throw line. You know, Brad, we saw the fact that J.J. Redick has really been shut down. Are you ready for this? The last four games now. He's 23 for 78. Wow. That's not J.J. Redick, the kid we watched all year. That's a kid emotionally, I really believe, fatigued. And plus, defenses are playing him a lot tougher. Eight-point North Carolina lead at the three-and-a-half-minute mark. Trying to pull a shocker at Cameron. Taking some time off that clock. And going to go for the high-percentage shot. Green slipped down, but kept the ball in play. You know, I get good spacing here. I'm going to allow Duke to give a lot of help on the basketball. Two on the shot clock. Hansborough way out. Got it! A three-pointer! Are you serious? They're celebrating at Franklin Street, baby. Now to chop a hole with that one. Dad is celebrating in the stands behind the scorer's table. Reddick misses. And a whistle and a foul. Numbers are facts. Numbers are, are interpretable, but they don't have slant or emotion behind them. Rel, what was your timeless highlight, man? Um, so it's two things, and I don't know if I would call them highlights. Maybe they were um, just things I remember vividly. But uh, and I'm not. I'm not. Again, I don't mean this as an attack on a player or anything. So please don't take it as that. But I was just reminded how confounded I I was am with Rayshon Terry, um, just a guy who oozes potential and oozes just the look of this is an NBA player. I mean, he's six eight, six nine. He can run the floor. He can shoot threes. He's strong. He's fast. He's athletic. Just had everything, all the physical attributes that you could wish for. And you know. He hadn't played much before uh, his junior season, and he averaged, I think, like 14 or 15 points a game. So it's not like he was terrible, but I just there was I feel like there was so much more that he could have done or uh, just been just because he had so much talent. And during the game, I, I think he saw it. I mean, there were a couple of threes that just looked so pure um, from the top of the key, one in the first half, one in the second half. And he had a really nice layup. Those were his three field goals. Um, so that's the good side of it. You're like, man, this, this guy has it. And for me, this goes back to watching him um, back in the day. 
playing for uh, the Kappa Magic, if you want to go old school, back in 2001 with uh, Chris Paul. Um, there's an old message board thing that it's kind of like a little joke that everybody goes to see Rayshon Terry and they come back talking about Chris Paul. At that point, Chris Paul wasn't well known and Rayshon Terry was the guy on the AAU team. So I'll say all that to say it, it was just weird because you saw so much of what he could do. And then what I contend is just in my opinion, one of the worst shots in Carolina history oh under the, the under two, uh, I think it was the under two, under two minutes left in the game. And Carolina's holding on to a lead. Duke is starting to charge. And he comes down the court from the left wing. And instead of slowing down, taking 30, 35 seconds off the clock, he pulls up for a jump shot and hits the side of the backboard. And about four seconds later, Demarcus Nelson hits another three. Um, so to me, it was just like, man, it was the, the, the feelings that I have about Rayshon Terry that came back. It was like, this guy could be so good, but he just wasn't able to, to put it all together for whatever reason. So that's one. And then the other thing is late in the game, uh, we know Coach K is notorious for, you know, working the rest a little bit. There's this great visual of Teddy Valentine um, in front of him. He's not yelling at Teddy Valentine. I think he was yelling at one of the other officials. And you see Teddy Valentine get in front of Mike Krzyzewski. He's just going, Mike, Mike, Mike. He's giving him like the parent look. And he's talking kind of like, hey, calm down. He's like, Mike, Mike, Mike. And then finally, Coach K like uh, calms down and goes back to the bench. So for whatever random reason, I remember the Rayshon Terry miss and uh, and uh, Teddy Valentine getting in front of Coach K like that. Those are two things that aren't necessarily highlights, but I just I'll, I'll always remember them. Dewey, was there anything said after that Rayshon shot that you remember that is podcast friendly that you can share? <laughs> um, oh my God, it was one of the dumbest shots ever. Um, well, Relset is right. I mean, he's one of the most gifted players and the most freakish athletes I certainly ever was around. You know, it's an interesting tidbit. All those guys that won the national championship the year before and left, um, that he, they nicknamed him LeBron. That's what they called him, like just in, in daily practice, weight room, all that stuff, because he was such a freak in the weight room. And going against them on the blue team uh, as a guy that got limited minutes that they would call him LeBron. Uh, so just tantalizing skill set, huge, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, whatever he weighed, 230 pounds, jump out of the building, beautiful, pure stroke. And, uh, and then could just do some things that were uh, that would make you scratch your head. So I don't remember Coach, you know, getting on him too, too much. Um more than he already did. I mean, he rode Rayshon as hard as anybody that I played with, Rayshon and Danny. And, um, you know, so nothing nothing that Ray Terry wasn't already used to getting, whether it was uh, in the huddle or or during a, a film session. But, uh, yeah, that was, a, uh, that was a lapse in judgment, that's for sure. That's a very delicate way of putting it. I like that. Uh, I had never heard the LeBron story. Some good inside baseball there. Um. I, we were kind of touching on this a little bit with the highlight talk. I think I know where you guys are going to go, but I always like to figure out, all right, when you hear you know, analysts and talking heads on TV breaking down a game, they always want to say, well, this guy did this and this guy did that. Who was your this guy, Dewey, for, for this game against Duke? I think you got to go, Marcus. I mean, he, you got to, if you remember how the season went for him, he was in the starting lineup from day one. And he struggled through the middle part of the season. He struggled offensively and uh, and to the point where coach made a change and, and put Wes in the starting lineup. 
Um, but you can see looking at the box score that uh, even though West started, Marcus played 23 minutes of the 40 at the two, and he was phenomenal. I mean, four for eight from the field, four for six from the line, four rebounds, 12 points. I mean, 12 points out of Marcus at that point in the year was certainly a surprise. And then just absolutely locked down defense on JJ. And his height and his length really bothered JJ um, because he was smart enough and agile enough to get around screens and be there on the catch. And I remember that from the scouting report. The biggest thing with JJ was be there on the catch. Because if you're not, it's going up and it's going in. But if you're there on the catch and he's got to hesitate or try to take a dribble, he was less lethal. Uh, that part of his game had evolved and he got better off the bounce than he had been. But he was still, you know, predominantly a catch and shooter, a catch one dribble guy and could rip it. And so Marcus did an unbelievable job of being there on the catch, staying down on shot fakes, and then his size and his length really bothered JJ. So for me, Outside of Tyler, without question, Marcus was the player of the game. Carolina back in front by two as we approach nine minutes. Tyler's picked up his dribble, gets it to Reddick. Reddick trying to get his man in the air and can't. He can't get an open shot. They're right up in his face. They are rotating different bodies on him. Pull up for Paulus. Missed the three. The rebound is Carolina's and David Noel. So uh, for North Carolina, I, I think it's give two. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to have like five guys on my this guy. But uh, for UNC, I think it was Quentin Thomas and, and Byron Sanders. I mean, uh, between the two of them, Byron Sanders played five minutes and had five points. Quentin Thomas hit two jump shots and had six points. So 11 points and three assists with one turnover from Byron Sanders and from Quentin Thomas. You don't expect to get that um, from them that season really ever. Uh, especially at Cameron Indoor Stadium on the stage that, that they were in. So I think they, they played really well in the limited minutes that they got, and that was important for UNC. On the Duke side, it, you know how I feel about certain players, but Lee Melchioni, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm watching the game. You know, again, this is a different time, so objective journalist now and all that good stuff. But back then I wasn't. So <laughs> I'm sitting on my couch in, in, in Chapel Hill, and I'm like, are they going to let Lee Melchioni beat them the same way I was about the guys from Kentucky when we were talking about the 2017 game? You know, he's wide open, hitting threes. I think he had three threes in the first half. He ended up like 13 or 15 points. And it's like, if J.J. Redick beats you, fine. If Sheldon, William, Sheldon Williams beats you, fine. Even if Demarcus Nelson beats you, that's okay. But not Lee Melchioni. Like he had been around, he had done some stuff, he hit some threes, whatever. Um, it was just a little frustrating that one, he kept getting wide open shots, and you know, to his credit, he knocked them down. But that's just not the way you you wanted that game, or, uh, t- you know, in particular to go. Um, just because you know, I, I like losing to good players, uh, losing to the best players. You don't want to lose to someone who uh, maybe had the game of their career, or uh, you know, someone who just stepped up and in a clutch moment and, and, and maybe did something they don't usually do. So that was a little annoying from my perspective. And that's why I, he was kind of, you know, this guy uh, from Duke uh, from a Carolina perspective, that game for me. All right, fellas, you've done a really good job thus far of saying how you feel about things, specifically you do it. So let's lay down on the therapist's couch. Let's open up. What were your feelings rewatching this game? Specifically, what did what did rewatching this game make you feel, Dewey? Maybe was it something that you didn't remember the first time? 
So, you know, what's really interesting is obviously we're all in quarantine and stuck at home. So uh, myself and a lot of the guys that were in this game uh, are in really regular communication, uh, even more than we normally are. And uh, we've been doing a lot of Zoom calls and uh, just getting together to, you know, get each other through it. Right? That's what everybody's doing in, in their own way. So uh, what's great about this is we had a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago, and one of the questions that was posed uh, was, "What was your favorite game during your career?" And on it was Tyler was on there, Bobby, Wes, me, Marcus, uh, one of our managers, and then Eric Kutz, who's on on staff and was on staff then uh, back then. And we all went around and we talked a lot about this game, and we talked a lot about this team and how together we were, how it was completely egoless, and we defended, we shared the ball, we listened to coach, and, um, you know, we also talked about how shocking it was the way our season ended because we were better and had a chance to make a, a good run had we not run into what obviously ended up being, a you know, a miracle couple of weeks for George Mason all the way to the Final Four. Um, we felt like we had a shot to really do some damage in the tournament. And, uh, and it was because of those things I said, because of the way we played together, uh, because of the way we defended, because we had great leadership. Uh, we had a, a force inside. We shot the ball pretty well. Uh, we had good guys coming off the bench and Marcus and Danny. We were just a confident group, and, and it was for the right reasons. It wasn't because of egos or necessarily being, you know, loaded, loaded, loaded with talent like we were the next year. Uh, we, there was just something about the way that team connected, and, and that's a year-by-year -year thing. And uh, Coach did, su did such a masterful job. And I know that 06 team is one of his favorite teams, which is really cool. Um, and I would also say that a lot of the guys on that team are still some of the closest of anybody and still some of the closest players with the coaches still uh, of anybody, which says a lot about that team. I mean, Coach Hass. Coach McGrath, Coach Robinson, Coach Holiday, our strength coach. I mentioned Hoots, uh, who's also on staff. Our manager, Preston, all of us. I mean, you know, there's a group of, of 12 of us, including Coach Williams and the coaches from that year that are all really close. And it's really cool. Uh, and so that that's what I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago on our Zoom call. And then also I was thinking about kind of mentioning today is – how I think Carolina fans will love to hear how close we still all are. Uh, and that was a lot. I was 15, 14 years ago and we talk every day. I mean, yeah, a bunch of us have Peloton bikes and we compete, you know, we did it today, uh, you know, talking junk to each other. Uh, so that part is really cool. And um, it's cliche to say that the, your favorite parts of being on a team or whatever are the, off the court things and the stuff you remember in the locker room, but that's the stuff that's carried through. And we're now 14 years later. And a lot of the guys you see when you rewatch that game, we're still really close. And it's uh it's a, it's a really cool thing. All right. I appreciate it. I didn't think that we'd get a Peloton drop in this podcast, but we'll leave it here. And I appreciate that authenticity from Dewey. It is cool to hear another example of what we've all come to know about the Carolina family and the Carolina way. Rel, what do you have? Anything that this made you feel or anything that this may have stirred up for you? So it, it's sort of a personal memory. Uh, so 
uh, quick story. Like, I'm not, I don't want to overstate the, you know, my importance or anything, but I was fortunate enough to have some level of access when I was a student at Carolina and then subsequently worked, worked in the athletic department. And so the day of that Duke game, me and a group of friends were in the Smith Center uh, playing pickup. And Joe, you probably know a few of these people. Uh, they may frequent Carolina football games. Uh, but, you know, we were in there. We were playing, having a good time, you know, thinking we're, we're big shots or whatever. And this is probably maybe one or two o'clock. And out walks, Co- out walks Coach Williams. And, we're, you know, we're thinking, okay, we're going to get busted. He's going to throw us out. So he just, you know, stands there in the tunnel and looks for a little while. And then we're like, okay, we need to wrap this up because I don't want to get in trouble and, you know, we, we don't want it to cause anything. And so we're, we're walking out and we walk by him and uh, we go, hey, Coach Williams, how you doing? You know, good luck tonight. And he goes, I sure as heck hope we look better than you guys looked out there tonight. <laughs> and we all just started busting out laughing because here is this guy, you know, his just <laughs> winning a national championship, uh, you know, uh, the huge game that night. And he's just chill, making jokes, you know, <laughs> laughing at us playing basketball. So to me, I, you know, I, I don't want to say like, oh, I knew or anything, but he just seems so relaxed to be going into like the tempest that is Cameron Indoor Stadium for that kind of game. And I was like, man, this, this guy is really cool if he knows um, or if he's that chill in this situation. So that's what I remember. And then just um, the, the, the night afterwards, just about how, uh, like I said earlier, it seemed like a changing of the guard from Sheldon and JJ to kind of Tyler. And this was going to be his conference for as long as he stayed in the conference. And it was because, you know, the next year, Elite Eight, the year after that, Final Four, the year after the national championship. Um, so it, it definitely kind of foretold what he would become and, and what the team would become with him. Yeah. And it also shows that no matter what was on the docket for the day, that Coach Williams just could not leave and could not go to Cameron without telling you all how bad your games looked. Uh, as we get close to the end here, is there anything you guys want to leave as we're wrapping up? Dewey, is there anything you feel can't be left unsaid that you want to throw out there? You know, obviously the the locker room afterwards, and it's it's become more prevalent and popular now with social media that everyone has now seen what Coach Williams does when he enters the locker room after a big-time win. Um, but back then, people didn't know that, right? That was kind of one of our things that – uh, the anticipation of him coming off the court after probably doing an interview or whatever he had to do when you just had a, a big time, big time victory was you waited kind of with bated breath for him to come in so everybody could jump around. And, and it was one of the coolest, funnest things that you could ever experience, uh, could, could have experienced, I should say. Um, and uh, so obviously I vividly remember that. Uh, I remember him standing up there and saying, we knew, we knew. In this room, we knew we were going to win. No one else thought that we could do it. We knew, and that was such a validating feeling. Um, I remember when the media came in, uh, just the the elation of the room and and how fun that feeling is. Uh, And then I remember getting back to Chapel Hill and and going out on Franklin Street that that night. And I'm going to harken back to what I was talking about on our Zoom call. One of the other questions that my friends, teammates, and I talked about was, if you could relive one night in college, what would it be? Whether it was tied to a game or not. And that night is one of the nights we also talked about during that conversation. It's just one of the most memorable, most fun, uh, just because everywhere you went, the place was electric. They were obviously so excited to see us. 
And uh, it just was, uh, it's what college is all about, right? I mean, that's the stuff that you cannot get unless you stick around. And so for all the guys that are so talented and, you know, the one and done thing, and, and now maybe guys can go straight to the league from high school and that's coming back, blah, blah, blah. That's the stuff that you cannot replicate. You cannot get anywhere else. And I was so lucky as a walk-on just to, just to be able to be there and be the littlest part of it uh, to experience what it was like to go in there and win, do it when it felt like David versus Goliath, us against the world, all those things. And then what it was like after that to experience the celebration and what it was like on campus and, and all those things. That's the stuff that you remember forever. I mean, I'll be able to vividly talk about this 50 years from now. Uh, and that, you know, is the essence to me of college sports and then being able to do it at a place like Carolina where basketball is so important and have it have been a game against Duke at their place with all the stuff we've talked about, you know, all those things, uh, just, you know, one of the, one of the better days you can say of your life, you know, from my perspective, really cool. All right. You guys heard it. And that's, I don't know of another way to, to go home on this, this episode before we go to the break. I think that's a heck of a wrap up by Dewey and a great way to frame all what we all know about Duke Carolina games, but I love Dewey's notice about how it made him feel as a college student and a college player and just the essence of college. So I think we'll leave that. I want to say I appreciate uh, Rel and you, Dewey, for being here. Uh, Coming up, right after the break here, we're going to have a little one-on-one conversation, what I like to call the postgame, with the aforementioned Bobby Fraser. Freshman point guard starting his first game in Cameron. That's a heck of a topic to talk to somebody about because there's only a few people on this planet that have had an opportunity to do that. Much less had as good of a positive outcome as as Bobby did. So we're going to talk to Bobby Fraser right after this break. Hope you guys will stick around. And we'll be right back here on the Throwback Podcast on InsideCarolina.com. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Throwback here on Inside Carolina, InsideCarolina.com. And as I teased before the break, I have with us a guy that was a heck of an impact player, even though he was a a bright-eyed freshman in 2006. Bobby Frazier is on with us. Bobby, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. Excited to, uh, to talk about this game. 
Yeah, it was certainly an exciting time for you guys. And I think Dewey just really, uh, really hit the nail on the head when he was talking a little bit earlier just about how much of a an impact you had on that team in that season, being that so many of you guys were new to the program. Uh, you all kind of came in and bought in what Coach was selling you. And it may or may not have culminated, at least from my view, it culminated with this game at Duke uh, on their senior night. What was your lasting memory from this game? You know, when, when we threw it out to you and said, hey, do you want to talk about this? What was the first thing that you thought about about this game at Duke on senior night? Um, you know, the first thing that came to mind was like, that's an easy game to talk about because I would say it's hands down the game I've seen the most, you know, after playing, rewatching, it's on every year, you know, uh, on ESPN Classic or something when, uh, you know, Duke and Carolina are playing. So it's still a lot of the plays and things that happened are, are fresh in my mind. Uh, once you ask the question, probably one thing that comes to mind that is lasting from that game would have been David Noel after the game in the locker room, uh, just seeing his, like, I don't know if it was disbelief or you know, kind of had this, you know, you guys have no idea what you guys just done type of type of feel. Um, and, and so, you know, it was just really, really cool to to be freshmen and go over there and, 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 you know, shock the world on their senior night. You know, you mentioned David and his reaction. You know, he is the upperclassman on that team. Uh, I'm sure he was shocked. But one of the things that Dewey kind of teased with us, and I want to get your your insight on it, he felt like Coach Williams made you guys think by the time that game started, that it was just a foregone conclusion you were going to win. Do you remember that? And how did how did you process that? <laughs> yeah. And as a freshman on the team walking in? No, he's – I think nobody gives him credit for his uh, motivational tactics. Um, he's just very – everything he says is so confident, so matter-of-fact. Like, you – whatever he says, you just take take his word as, as gold. And so I remember I – think, I, I think it was Virginia. It was our last home, home game, maybe senior night. You know, we beat them, and then I think after the game, he rallies everybody together and says, hey, you know, nobody in the country can go over there and beat them, but, you know, this locker room, you know, what we have in here, we can. And and everybody just kind of takes that to heart and then just, just has a belief, like a confidence, you know, where, like, I don't think any of us were scared. Obviously, myself, you know, I could say I was nervous, and it was a crazy atmosphere and, you know, first time in, in that environment. But, um, yeah, he definitely had us all believing that, that we were going to go over there and win. So you mentioned that environment. Let's talk about that a little bit. As a guy who, you know, you're wrapping up your first season as a starting point guard at the University of North Carolina. You've seen a lot, but a lot of people talk about how the Duke environment and their home crowd is just different. What do you remember about that night and, you know, your first time walking in there? What jumps out at you? Yeah, I mean, you remember driving up, you know, you're, going, you're kind of winding up this hill uh, straight to uh, Cameron Indoor. They drop you off right outside and you know, there's just this long, long line of people, almost like a high school game. Uh, and, you know, they're already doing the waving at the bus and booing and stuff. And then you change and you walk out on the court. And it's just so tight, like from sideline to the fans being on top of you to walking through basically the crazies. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just a rush uh, as soon as you walk out there. It's, it's unlike anything I've been a part of or seen as a, as a spectator. And, uh, you know, it's it's it still gives me goosebumps to this day thinking about the first time walking out there. That's awesome. And the thing is, you played a pretty solid freaking game considering all things told, you know, and how that environment was and, you know, all the all the hoopla and pomp and circumstance around their senior night. At what point do you feel like you, you were comfortable, you know, after the game started? When did you feel like, oh, this is this is good. I'm, I, I feel fine 
and you felt like you were going to uh, block I, all that out. When did you notice that? Yeah, I think it was Dave's first dunk. You know, I remember early on, I remember, you know, you're just so nervous about bringing the ball up the court, not turning it over, and Duke's just notorious for pressuring you and denying first pass and things like that. And then and there was like a loose ball. I remember gathering it at half court and pitching it ahead to Dave, and Dave got a dunk, and that was like, okay, like, all right, we're, we're actually going to score. It's not impossible. Like, that kind of just, just settled you down. Um, and then you go back and you watch it, and I still had some bonehead plays late, but uh, obviously that's some freshman-type mistake. But it was uh, – yeah, that dunk was definitely when I was like, okay, all right, we're, we're, we're okay. Big-time point in the game, definitely. I, I teased it a little bit earlier, but I, I would love to hear your perspective on it. A lot of folks feel like this team really kind of hit their peak as far as coming together and everybody buying in, which makes sense for a team that is, was as young as you guys were at that point. Do you feel like that, that this game was probably you guys' peak maturation for, for that season? Uh, yeah, that was, is definitely the highlight of the year. Um, you know, we had some other big wins and, you know, NCAA tournament win, but as a three seed, you wish you could have, could have went a little further. Um, but it it was cool going into that year, having zero expectations for, for the team after winning it last year. I remember walking back after a football one game in, you know, maybe late at night, I'm just walking with some random guy and he's like, uh, football just lost. I'm like, oh, yeah, these hoops is around the corner. And he had no idea who I was. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're not, we're going to be bad in basketball as well that this year too. And so there was just no expectations at all. And then for us to have a very successful year and be a three seed and, and uh, you know, that game was definitely the, uh, the peak of, uh, of the season. And, and it was just a you know, memory that I'll never forget. And uh, hopefully a lot of Carolina fans, uh, you know, look back at that game and, and really enjoy it. You had a, a heck of a career at UNC, but was this your most fun season? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know to start every game and you're playing a ton and not have injuries, uh, it was an absolute blast. Like winning the national championship, that was, you know, we were just beating beating the brakes off people, uh, you know, that year, and that was a lot of fun. And the guys that we had on the team were just amazing personalities and amazing talent, and, and so that was a lot of fun. But yeah, looking back to that freshman year, playing a ton, being a part of it, um, and having success, that was definitely a very, very fun year. One of the things that we talked about earlier was about, you know, J.J. Redick and J.J. Redick and J.J. Redick and, and all the, the hype around him, rightfully so. That was an amazing player. But come to this game, you know, he started off really, really hot. I think he finished the game like shooting two of 19 or something. And yeah. you guys really you guys put the clamps on him and I noticed it was a team effort. You know, you, you trailed him some, I think Marcus Ginyard was on him some, Danny Green was on him some, David Noel was on him some. You guys did an amazing job of really making, you know, anybody not named Reddick kind of inconsequential that game. And, and you took Reddick away. What was the, do you remember what coach's mindset was for you guys or what, what your instructions were when you were guarding JJ to kind of, to get him out of his, his typical performance? No, I mean, I mean, I know him the first time we played him, he had like 35 on us. And, and I probably tagged him a little bit of that. Wes caught a, a, a good brunt of that. And then I know in the second second go around, obviously maybe we made a conscious effort to put a little bit more length on him and, and go with uh, Marcus, who was a phenomenal defender. Rayshon could be on him. Dave could be on him. Danny could be on him when he was in the game. And the, all those guys are six, six and above. And, and so maybe that got to him. You know, I, I do remember he had a couple of tough ones to start, but then by the end he was, he was throwing it off the side of the backboard and, and, you know, I don't know if they were talking about emotional fatigue and stuff that game. There was, there was a lot of, uh, 
a lot of storylines with him that year, and he was a, an amazing, amazing talent. But, but yeah, credit to Marcus and, and all the other guys that, that uh, you know, made made his life a, 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 a you know, it was, a, it was a tough night for him. Yeah, they the announcers mainly, Mr. Vital did begin the <laughs> woe is J.J. tirade early in the game that night. Yeah. yeah. Okay, man, you, you had – you had uh, some amazing free throws, which were, you know, again, coming from an outsider watching the game, seemed like would have been the the biggest pressure cooker type situation one could imagine. But you had two free throws with 23.3 left. Dewey mentioned, and I was going to ask you, but but Dewey jumped on this and said what David mentioned to you when he was he was standing on the, on the free throw line where you were getting ready to shoot. And, and he said Bobby's world. Was that the first yeah. time you had heard that? Yeah, like he's, I think he was just kind of messing with me. Um, and I, it was after the first one had went in, like you can see in the video where I look at him and, he, and I kind of nod my head and just repeat what he had yep. said to me. That's when I have the little smile. Um, but yeah, Dave, Dave was, you know, just an amazing leader, amazing person to be around, such a fun, uh, fun personality that he'd always bring a smile to your face, even in a pressure cooker situation like that. And, uh, you know, so it was good to, to be able to step to the line and, as a freshman and not shoot any free throws that whole game and, and make two, two big ones. So the beautiful part of your career, you know, yeah, you got a national championship out of it, but where does it rank the fact that you never lost at Duke in your career? Where, where does it, where does that fall on the list of Bobby's accolades as a Carolina player? <laughs> it's definitely number two. I mean, even people to this day, it's like, Oh, what was your record against Duke? And, and you bring it up and everybody kind of takes a step, you know, a second, like, wow, that's, that's impressive. Like he's ever been, been done before and so it's yeah definitely national championship one uh that's probably that's probably number two and you know national championship game is my favorite game this is definitely my second favorite game that i was ever a part of and played and so it's uh they're right there hand in hand look at the emotion on the youthful faces and even the moms and dads of the carolina folks that got to see it first win at duke since 01 but the first time a senior night upset since 1996 Quite a game. North Carolina was just faster to the ball most of the second half, and they win it 83-76. to 76. Dick, it's been fun to be part yes, of prime time with you again, partner. It's been fun, baby. North Carolina is going to be a scary team the rest of the way. We appreciate you spending some time with us and being so honest. Is there any one lasting thing that you feel like uh, maybe a little peek inside the locker room or whether it was a post-game celebration or, or maybe – you know, something that happened when you guys back got back on campus and got settled in. Was there was there anything that really stands out at you in the celebration part of things from from the the post game? Um, I think that was the year we we of course you go out afterwards, and I think somebody not one of no one on the team, but it was somebody set their hair on fire. Like did a uh, <laughs> I forget what they, they named the shot. We're at a bar. He throws his, you know liquor on his head, lights it on fire, takes a shot, and then pours a beer <laughs> water on his head. So like I'm you know a 19 year old kid like what is going on but it was uh that was a fun night fun night for sure I, well I wouldn't have said that you know when I'm still in school but you know whatever it's 13 14 years after the fact I think we can talk about it yeah I think we've we've elapsed any statute of limitations on that but yeah I, yeah yeah I can't wait to hear from the guy who actually set his hair on fire that's that's outstanding well Bobby <laughs> I appreciate you taking time to. <laughs> Appreciate you taking time to jump in the in the Wayback Machine with us here on the Throwback. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to, to our guest Bobby Fraser. Uh, you know, let's let's hit but let's hit one time before we let him go. Let's hit Bobby's uh, 
Bobby's box score for that night. His line was uh, he was three of nine from the field, two of three with some big three pointers, which I mentioned when we were talking earlier uh, with Dewey and Sherelle that you, know, you hit the three. That was the last time that that gave UNC the lead for good. But uh, finished with three rebounds, five assists, uh, two big free throws at the end, zero fouls and 10 points. And for a freshman, that pressure cooker and that big of a game, man, that's huge stuff. So we we're, we're glad to to have you come on and talk about that today. We really appreciate it. We want to give one more shout out to our friends at Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Please visit them. Check them out. If you need any Tar Heel gear, to everybody in the listening audience, please go to johnnytshirt.com. They'll take care of you. Quick shipping, all that good stuff. And want to remind you, be sure to go to uh, iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're getting this podcast. Rate us. Give us a review. If you like what you're hearing, please speak highly of us. If you don't, reach out to us at Inside Carolina and we'll take care of it. But that'll do it for me, for Bobby Fraser, for Sherelle McMillan and Dewey Burke. We thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the throwback here on Inside Carolina.